Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. So my name is Mary Dorsett, and I'm the children's pastor here at Long Beach Christian Fellowship, which is the sweetest gig in the whole wide world because I get to tell every child who walks through those doors that they are loved and chosen by God. I get to see families grow and expand. I get a journey with them, and all of it is so sweet. I also get to hang out every week with little people who have the same attention span that I do, and who don't mind that I'm totally socially awkward and can't carry a tune, it's perfect. But today I get to talk to grown-ups, and I'm really excited about that too. We're going through a series where we're asking, what are we saying? Have you ever noticed that sometimes there are those words that you keep using, and they start losing their power and meaning because they're said so often. There's an actual like fancy schmancy term for this, it's called semantic satiation. It's when you say a word so often, it just becomes these jumble of syllables that doesn't really have a meaning. And sometimes that happens within the Christian lexicon too. We say these words and we forget that these words are really true. And so today we're looking at the word forgiveness and we're considering and celebrating what that word means in our lives, in our relationships, and our walk with Jesus. When Ryan first asked me if I would talk about forgiveness, my first reaction was, heck yeah. Talking about God and his forgiveness for us in our lowest points, our darkest moments, I could talk about that all day, every day. Maybe you even know what it's like. Maybe you've stood in front of somebody with all of your nasty humanity out for them to see, knowing full well you have no excuses and they have nothing that they could give you but judgment and condemnation, but instead they extend forgiveness. You know how lovely, how amazing, how freeing that word forgiveness can be. But also, Forgiveness is a hard word. If you've ever been tasked with the job of having to forgive somebody who's done something indefensible, you know this word is also messy. It's hard. It can be almost ugly. And yet this is what God asks us to do. Can I get that slide up of the Ephesians verse? God says, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And this is what we are tasked with. Now, I've been married to my husband, Skylar, for going on 18 years, which means we have had a lot of experience in learning how to forgive and be forgiven. And what I have learned in that 18 years is that Skylar is way better at it than I am. He is ridiculously good at forgiveness. It's almost like he frolics to it, like he's just been given like the chance to do his favorite thing in the world. And then when he forgives, he straight up forgives. He doesn't use that as an emotional blackmail later on. There's no expiration date on it. He forgives. It is both inspiring and humbling 
because I am really bad at forgiveness. I get there, but I get there kicking and screaming. Case in point, I was an adult who could buy alcohol by the time I forgave my fellow kindergarten student, Megan Meadows, for telling on me for using two pumps of soap. I got in trouble for that. I sat there in shame of having everybody knew that, and I never played with her again on the playground. That was it. And yet, God says to me, Mary, you are a new creation. I have forgiven you. Go and do the same. But why? Why does God ask this of us? I was thinking of Megan Meadows this week as I thought of forgiveness because Megan Meadows is fine. She's not in therapy for the fact that I never forgave her. She doesn't even know. She does not even remember this time in her head. But it's me. I'm the one who carried that unforgiveness with me. It was hurting me. And this is why God asks us to forgive. Nelson Mandela, who is such an advocate and an example of what forgiveness can be, said this. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. And that is why it's such a powerful weapon. I love that. Forgiveness is a weapon of liberation. But all too often, forgiveness has been weaponized by the church. It's been used to silence voices. It's been used to make people feel guilty for big, messy, hard feelings. It's been used to take attention away from the person who has done harm and lay the responsibility at the victim saying, well, you have to forgive me because the Bible says so. And so before we deep dive into what Jesus says about forgiveness, I first want to talk about what forgiveness is, and I want to start with talking about what it is not. Can I get that fancy-smancy slide up? Thank you. Forgiveness is not balancing the scales of justice. Forgiveness is not fair. It is the opposite of fair. And yet, it is also not something we do instead of consequences. It's possible for somebody to forgive somebody and still desire justice. Justice and forgiveness do not have to be mutually exclusive. You can hold both at the same time. Forgiveness is not condoning or justifying someone's actions. It's not saying it's okay. It's not just giving somebody a lot of excuses for why they did it. And it is not allowing a behavior to continue. Forgiveness is not discounting our pain or loss. Actually, it's the opposite. In order to forgive, we have to look at that pain that we're carrying. We have to name that loss. We have to go through those stages of grief, whether that takes us five minutes or five months or a lifetime. We have to hold that loss. And then we say, even in spite of this pain and loss that I carry, I will forgive you. And lastly and hardest, forgiveness is not just for those who ask for it. There's a really important distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. God asks us to forgive just as we have been forgiven. 
but he does not ask us to stay in unhealthy or unsafe relationships. Reconciliation can only occur when somebody comes to you, acknowledges that loss, and works to rebuild trust and repair that broken relationship. Jesus does not actually want us to be somebody to be walked over. In fact, in the verses before the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus talks about what we do when somebody has harmed us. And first we go to them and we, we let them know about this harm. And if they cannot hear that, then we go with somebody else who's trusted. And if they still can't hear it, Jesus says we are to treat them like tax collectors or pagans. Essentially, we don't let them into our inner sanctum. We do not let them hurt us like that again. Even Jesus knows that we need to have those healthy boundaries in place. Recon- or forgiveness is not a way to fix somebody else's flaws. Rather, it's a way of protecting our own hearts from bitterness and further harm. And that is why God so wants us to always be moving towards that forgiveness. Now, happier, what forgiveness is. Thank you, Ryan. Forgiveness is releasing feelings of resentment. The word resentment literally means to feel things again. And when Jesus says, forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors, he's using this word, aphiomi, and it means to release or let go. This is not a passive action. It's not something like slipping or dropping. It's taking something that you're holding tight in your grasp, and it's loosening that grip on it. And this is what Jesus asks of us, to release it. In AA, they have this prayer called the resentment prayer. And in it, you pray for this person that you hold resentment against, and you pray for them all the things that you would want for yourself. You pray for them peace. You pray for them connection. You pray that they find God's grace and they are saturated in it. And something happens when I pray that prayer for somebody that I have been holding resentment against. It feels like this cold, icy rock that's been sitting in my chest melts just enough, just enough that I can remember I need Jesus. And in that place, I can remember that they too desperately need Jesus. We're all just wanderers. And Jesus asks us for this forgiveness again because he does not want that anger or bitterness to choke out the spaces in our heart that should be reserved for life and love and joy. Next, forgiveness is a process. It's not one and done. When Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, it was a prayer to be prayed for over and over again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When Skylar asks for forgiveness for something, I notice my knee-jerk reaction is I want to say, it's okay. Because truthfully, saying it's okay feels safer than actually doing the work of forgiveness. I don't want to have to really acknowledge that felt like a little death right there. But I am trying. I read that... um, Superficial reconciliation brings superficial healing. And so I'm trying to be honest with those pains and bring those 
and to say instead of, it's okay, I will forgive you. Meaning when memory or repeat offense brings me back to this moment in time, I will forgive you again and again. And last one, which is the best one, forgiveness is life-giving, and that is why God asks of us of it. And Lamont says that not forgiving someone is like eating the poison and then waiting for the rat to die. This is why God wants us to forgive. He does not want those toxic poisons living inside our body. He does not want them to erode our soul. Even God. It says in Isaiah, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will remember them no more. God forgives for his own sake because he doesn't want a list of our mess-ups and slip-ups just carried around in his back pocket. And so, of course, he wants us to do the same thing. The parable that Clark read so beautifully was prompted by a question that Peter asked Jesus. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? And he was super generous in his suggestion of seven times. I only, I couldn't even do Megan Meadow one time. Seven times! And Jesus says to him, no, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Some translations, it's even more. It's 70 times seven. And what a lot of theologians think that Jesus was doing here was actually referencing a passage in Genesis where one of Cain's descendants says, well, if God has seven times the amount of vengeance on somebody who lays a finger on Cain, then he's going to have 77 times that kind of vengeance if someone lays a finger on me. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, you got it wrong. It's not unlimited vengeance. God is in the business of unlimited forgiveness. And so Jesus goes on to tell this story of this servant. And he owes 10,000 bags of gold. And Jesus was going for hyperbole here. This is a ridiculous amount of money. Like, this is the kind of money that a small kingdom would owe another kingdom. And that's kind of Jesus' point. This is an unpayable debt. But this guy, when he's asked to pay it back, says, give me more time. He is an optimist. He thinks if he just has a little more time, somehow or other, he's going to get this money together. And this, this master, he looks at him. And he says, you know what? Mm -mm. It's forgiven. It's as though it was never there. You are free. And what does this guy do with that kind of freedom? He goes and he finds this other guy who owes him 100 silver coins. Totally manageable sum of money to pay back. But when the man asks for the same thing for a little more time, the guy has no leniency for him. He has no mercy for him, and he throws him in jail. This part of the story has always captured my imagination because who does that? Like, if you've ever paid off a credit card bill or made a final payment on the car, you know that freedom that comes from that. It's amazing. And what does the guy go and do? He immediately finds somebody else and make sure that the law is followed to a T. And I think that is what happened. This man cannot live 
in the reality that he has been forgiven. He only knows law. He knows what is right and what should happen when somebody doesn't do what's right. And he can't make sense of his life when somebody gives him mercy. And so he goes and he tries to make sense of it by imposing that power on somebody else and demanding immediate reparation. I am a nerd for Jesus. I, um, I met him when I was three years old, and he changed my life. And I cannot talk about him and his goodness without crying because he's just that amazing. And I love that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, gives us this front row seat into who God is, what he values, who he loves, where he decides to hang out and spend his free time. And Jesus was really big into forgiveness. It's all over the place. When he gave the parable on the, or the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And he was not doing some sort of Zen karma postulating by saying that. It wasn't, he wasn't saying that forgiveness, what goes around, comes around in some big cosmic kind of way. He was saying that forgiveness is received by the people who know forgiveness. They are versed in it. They are so seeped in that mercy that what spills out of them is mercy. This parable of the unforgiving servant was given by Jesus just months before his crucifixion. When on the cross, he looked down and he saw these soldiers, men that he loved, that he knew the names of, he knew inside and out, their hurts, their longings, all their missteps, and he saw them gambling for the very clothes off of his back. And he preemptively forgives them this is the kind of God we have. A God who says, before you even know what you've done, I'm saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And then just years after Jesus' crucifixion, we see Stephen, who says almost the same thing when an angry mob comes with stones in their hands. The last words out of Stephen's mouth are forgiveness. I don't know what Stephen's come-to-Jesus story was, but it must have been awfully steeped in that kind of forgiveness that he was able in his last breath to forgive somebody else before they have even asked for it. What a good God. I've always hated the ending of this parable that we've read. It's, it's icky. It's dark. I, I like a, a Jesus story that has a happy, hopeful ending and preferably a party. Like, that's my jam. This one ends with the guy in prison and tortured. But I think that is Jesus' point. This is what unforgiveness does to us. It leaves us in a prison cell. It leaves us tortured, and he doesn't want that for us. I've been thinking of a verse all month long where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love that. 
Jesus is here. He's right beside you. And there's freedom in him. That thing that you did that you don't even like to think about in the full light of day, that time that you said that thing you can't believe you said or you did that thing you cannot believe you did, Jesus says it is forgiven. It's as though it never happened. In Zephaniah 3, 17, 15, something, um, he says that he's removed his hand of judgment upon us, that we can fear his condemnation no more, his judgment no more. What a picture of freedom, that we don't have to fear that kind of judgment because there is such forgiveness. And then he asks us to do the same. Because when we are so filled up, when we know what that forgiveness looks like, that's what spills out of us, is that kind of forgiveness. It is his freedom that leads us into that kind of freedom, and we are constantly moving more and more towards it. So, let's pray. God of freedom and forgiveness, thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy for each of us in those hard and icky places that we carry. And Lord, I pray for courage. First, that we would just learn to walk in that forgiveness. That those places that we don't want to forgive ourselves, Lord, that we will have the courage to forgive ourselves of those places. And that we will then have the courage to move forward and to forgive the people who have harmed us. Thank you for your love and your goodness always. Amen.